All right, good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of The Elephant in the Room. Our regular host, Sam DeMarco, is away getting much needed R&R. My name is John Schneider, Executive Director of the Republican Committee of Allegheny County. And as always, we're joined by our amazing producer, Daryl Grandy. Thanks for being here. Uh, today, we have assembled a panel to discuss the homelessness in our region and the decay of Pittsburgh. Today, we're joined by Erin Coper, uh, Chairwoman of the Allegheny County Council of Republican Women. We also have Gina Paulus, Chairwoman of the City of Pittsburgh Republican Committee, District 2. Uh, both women have been instrumental uh, helping our committee with our get out the vote efforts and a lot of other activities. And we're also joined by Bobby Haar, who is an independent and investigative journalist and writer focused on issues of local and national importance through uh, shoe leather reporting. Bobby is based in Pittsburgh and has traveled the country for over five years working to uncover and executing man on the street interviews to get the uh, full story. Eyes on Pittsburgh is a citizen journalism project founded by Bobby Har that uh, documents homelessness and drug addictions in Pittsburgh. So thank you all for being here. I know we're all looking forward to hearing more about this important topic that is so important to everybody. Um, I will now turn it over to Aaron. Thanks, John, and thanks for having me back. I'm really excited to do this show today because I have seen firsthand in the community that I live in and Gina lives in as well. We're both in the same district too, city of Pittsburgh. It's devastating. I mean, I've been really noticing it since May and, you know, seeing people walking around like zombies in my neighborhood. Um, the drug addiction, the open drug use has been just in incredibly tragic to see in our neighborhoods. I've lived in my neighborhood. I've owned my home for seven years. So I really think that this is an important ongoing issue that we have. And through learning, you know, Gina and I were talking before we came on set, this has been an ongoing thing within our city for longer than what we're, than what we ha have known previously. So it's just sad to know that when you don't take care of people in the city, you know, people who are mentally ill, living on the streets, living in garbage filled campsites, and then it spirals out of control. And then it starts flooding into our neighborhoods and it's becoming a public health hazard. So I want to turn it over to Bobby because he's our special guest today. And I want to, you know, let him walk us through some of the things that he has seen in the city of Pittsburgh. Yeah. So thanks, Aaron. You know, what I do is, is pretty straightforward, but, you know, I'm never surprised, right, with what I'm doing. I'm going into these campsites um, and I'm always learning something new about these people. You know, I'm not just a lot of people see the videos and it seems to get more views whenever I do videos of these encampments and show just how bad it is. You know, the truth is it's shocking. It's it's compelling footage. It's, com you know, the imagery of it, the visual is is something that you can hardly scroll past. Right. Um, seeing needles all over the place, seeing piles and piles of garbage. But what gets to me more than anything isn't so much you know i've gotten kind of hardened to the the visuals and the environment you get kind of used to that after a while it's the personal stories right the personal stories when i interview these people which you know it isn't such a you know a compelling visual as the camp itself right and the garbage itself and everything the these people have real stories they you know the, these are people that whether they're from here or not, they have real stories, they have real problems, they, you know, it's sad. And 
as someone with my own struggles uh, with addiction and stuff like that myself in the past, you know, th this is something that always hits home with me. So I get a lot out of talking to these people and hearing where they came from, you know, what their family life is like, if they have any left. Uh, some of them have relationships. Some of them, some of them choose to be homeless. Some of them don't. Some of them want to be addicts. Some of them don't. So it's it's just a really complex issue, and uh, honestly, I'm constantly throwing a curveball. I have to say, when I first started following your stories, and I follow you on Twitter, and I also have you on my Facebook as well, and we'll get into the multiple ways that you can follow Bobby once I get through with this, but I have to say your personal um, interest stories that you do um, when you interview the people out on the street, they're, they're gut-wrenching, and you don't really realize. You know, I think we become desensitized, you know? I think we've all... Over the past decade or two, have seen a panhandler on the side of the ramp or seen, you know, someone. And then when you actually get in there and talk to them and seeing the root cause of why they're there and the simple things that they're asking for, which is just food and a shower, but yet they are given needles. They are, they are being provided everything but the drug. And they are telling us this, right, Bobby? Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's what a lot of uh, a lot of outreach groups do good work. I will say that, they, they, you know, these people mean well, they do good work. I don't personally agree with some of the stuff like, you know, what they call harm reduction and giving out needles and stuff like that. I don't necessarily think that's the answer. But at the same time, they do some good work. You know, there's there's places like I'll say like Central Outreach that actually helps people with like getting a birth certificate, getting their ID, you know, rent assistance sometimes. Um, you know, I, I always ask these people, I don't want to just focus on the bad, right? Mm -hmm. I ask these people that are living on the streets, like who's doing good as well, right? Because we need them. In order to go forward, we need these nonprofits and these third-party organizations to actually rehabilitate them. That's right. good to know that they're actually doing good work. But what I noticed, the common thing that they always say when you ask them, if you were provided uh, rehab, would you go? The one girl did admit that she wouldn't have a week ago. Yep. How, and you asked her what changed her mind, and she said it's cold. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be a different reason, but I think that the the one common denominator is that they all want it. Yeah. So they always say that it's harder to take that chance when they're given, you know, a crack pipe or the tools to keep getting high, especially when the one that you interviewed, which I thought was so compelling. Tell us how cheap he said it was to get fentanyl in the city of Pittsburgh. Five bucks a bag, right? Uh, five bucks a bag for a bag of fentanyl. Now, I don't have any personal knowledge of how long that's going to last you, but he says that's going to take him only a few hours, right? Um, and I mean, it. <laughs> this, this topic actually really blows my mind because it makes me wonder what is next, right? Fentanyl is not, you know, at one point fentanyl was what was laced in heroin, right? What that, that was the bad batch of heroin. Okay. You know, I don't know if a lot of people know this heroin is few and far between to come across anymore for a lot of these people. And a lot of these addicts don't even want it. They want the fentanyl. Fentanyl used to be what made a, a batch of heroin a bad batch, a batch that had people dropping dead. People now seek out fentanyl because it's much more potent. It's, I believe it's, I believe fentanyl is, it's either 50 or a hundred times, one of the two, 50 or a hundred times more potent than heroin itself, right? And then you have another drug. So it's impossible to get off of, would you say? 
I mean, I don't have experience with it, but I know plenty of people that have, and they describe it as it feels like you're dying, but you're not. So you can get off of it. But, you know, I'll tell you that my problems with addiction, I struggle with that every single day. You know, it's not that I'm sitting here white knuckling it and sweating and whatnot. And my drug of choice wasn't opiates or anything like that. But I will say that there's things that I can't do anymore. There's the, like, I can't live the life that most normal people can't. I can't have a beer. I can't have a drink. You know, I can't do anything. I can't hang out with anybody that I used to hang out with that I did drugs with because it's going to send me into a panic attack. It doesn't mean I'm going to use. You know, I've gotten to a point now where I feel very strong in my recovery. I got sick of who I was and what I was doing, and I did something about it. And, you know, I'm proud of that. But I can't put myself around other triggers. You know, recovery is, is, is really about putting a barrier between yourself and the substance, whether that be drugs, alcohol, or both in my case, right? And the less of a barrier you put, the weaker of a barrier you put, that primal brain of yours, your, that addicted mind is going to do everything it can to get to it. So I could very well go to a bar, sit at the bar, and have a Coke or a Pepsi, but it's not going to be easy for me. It's I'm going to be inching myself closer and closer to a relapse. And that's kind of the same thing here. If you surround yourself with the very things that you use to get high, even if you're trying to detox, if you're trying to not use and you're surrounded by needles and you use needles, I can only imagine that's not very easy when you just have a constant reminder around right. you, you know? The truth is drugs and alcohol, the re there's a reason people get addicted to them. It's because they're pretty good. Even though that's the, the, the truth nobody wants to talk about, they're pretty good. They People can't stop using them for a reason. They feel good. The thing that you need to do with your life is figure out something that feels even better, that gets you away from it. That's the barrier you put, put in between it. It's not easy to stop drugs and alcohol. You have to find something that you enjoy better, that you're more passionate about, and that's why it's so hard to stop this stuff. So it's not you're not doing any service to yourself by surrounding yourself with exactly what you used to use to get high. You're going to be thinking about it all the time. So as far as the outreach people that you've seen out there that do good, what do you suggest as being someone who has, um, like you just described, and you know, like you have a willpower and you know where to put yourself and where to remove yourself from, what can you suggest that these people might need to really remove themselves from this world? So I really appreciate the outreach groups that do, fo you know, they, they focus on things like getting people to where they have a chance to change their life right? instead of just supplying them with. And look, I understand the purpose of supplying them with clean supplies to get high. The, the truth is not everybody's ready for recovery. Not everybody's ready to get clean. And you won't get clean no matter how much you're compelled if you're not ready to do it. I had to get sick of it myself take accountability myself, take responsibility, man up and decide to do something about my life. I had to take that step. I had to hit rock bottom and I did. And I changed my life because of it. Very grateful for that. But I'll tell you what wouldn't have helped me if people were giving me supplies to come, you know, here's a clean supplies. Here's a clean bag. Here's a clean, whatever it ends up being. That wouldn't have helped me. You know, as an addict, you learn very quickly, very easily how to manipulate people, how to take advantage of a situation because your brain only allows for that, right? So what would have helped me is if somebody would have 
nudged me in the right direction. You know, I, I believe modeling good behavior is is what eventually leads to people wanting to to mimic that good behavior. You know, who's mm-hmm. you, you want to be like your role model, right? So when you exhibit good behavior and you exhibit what other people should be and you present yourself and give people opportunities as somebody that's a productive member of society that doesn't use drugs that doesn't you know lay around in their own filth all day eventually your 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 side's going to catch on your cause is going to catch on and people are going to want to be like this but people need an opportunity they need an opportunity to change their lives i don't think they need an opportunity to continue using I think you're absolutely right. And you have traveled the country, correct? Yeah. You know, reporting. Where where have you worked before you started doing your independent journalism? So I worked for Project Veritas for uh, four years, just over four years. Uh, I did undercover journalism, like confrontation, ambush style interviews, stuff like that. Uh, and I traveled, I mean, I think I've been to 42 states. Um, I traveled all across the country. So you've seen in other cities like San Francisco, Austin, Texas, you've seen what works and what doesn't work. So what can you say to help us here in the city of Pittsburgh? Yeah, so listen, I I wish I had the answers. I really do. I I don't know exactly what the answers are. If I did, I promise I promise you I would run for office. Uh, but I, I don't I know. For you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know what the answers are. I've just seen that, you know, we can become like Portland. We can become like San Francisco. And while areas like that are extraordinarily worse than what, you know, what we currently are dealing with, we can get to that point. They started somewhere. I know other areas try different things, like they've tried the city-sanctioned homeless encampments in Austin. I've talked to people that say they work. I've talked to people that say they don't work. I know in Houston, they did something uh, similar. Sam was talking about that. And, you know, I, I don't know what the answers are here. But I, I don't Do you think believe it's policy the, driven by the local politicians in those cities. Yes, absolutely. Would I, you say it's a progressive policy driven type way, like their ideology that is allowing for people to live in tent cities and to they're empowering them to live in camps? Well, it's hard to think anything otherwise, right? I mean, you know, we live in, in a county where Sam's the only Republican countywide, the only elected Republican countywide. So he has very little power on the grand scale. So it's hard to believe, you know, when you have a situation like, you you know, like we do with the homelessness and you have only Democrats in charge. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's responsible for the policy? Right. Correct. So at that point, it's hard to it's hard to believe anything else. So I don't like to attach it to one single party. But when you have uh, one party role in the entire in the entire city, in the entire county, you know, who's making those choices? As well as those other cities. So there's only one way to to correlate that. Gene, I want to bring you in on this because you are, you follow a lot of the city council meetings. You watch them on Zoom. You you go to them yourself. You are the chair of District 2. There is a new proposal and it's actually not new. So can you kind of like explain like what's going on with that as far as the two council members who propose that? Yes, I believe it first came about uh, in January of last year through city council. They decided to sort of start a separate committee to address the homelessness issue in the city of Pittsburgh. And then in May, you know, the two city council members had proposed, you know, sort of a plan. There were different things, you know, that they had in the works Back in May, they didn't really have a set idea of what they were going to do. They just knew that the, you know, the issue had to be addressed 
you know, there was talk of what actually that we're seeing now with the sort of um, pop-up tent um, community in the interim. But in my opinion, that is not, they're still on the street, these people. They're still in a tent, whether the tent has, you know, heat and they bring in, you know, shower, portable showers. I'm not even sure how they're going to do that. The only thing I know is from what, through research, what I saw that they have done in in Denver, which seems to be something that they're trying to model the city of Pittsburgh program after, where they kind of have an area that's like that's sort of a large parking lot, and they have all of these tents inside, and they're managed. They're man, yes, and then to that gets to a whole other sort of ball of wax is you know is this sort of becoming a homeless industrial complex. Right. Where people are making and corporations are making money off of people being homeless. And if we don't really get to the root cause of the problem or fix the problem, and back to what Bobby was saying, as someone who has um, struggled from addiction and still does, how do you get them to actually go back into society and be, you know, working societal members, you know, getting a job, having a family. Bobby, and I just remembered this too. When you interviewed the one in the West End, she had said that there's been babies born in those tents. So Gina, back to even what you were saying, if we have these sanctioned areas for people living in tents, are we going to just allow babies to be born in tents? I mean, what are we doing here? I don't know. And then how are they picking the 50 people? Like they said that this so-called area will have enough tents or accommodations for 50 people. So out of the hundreds of homeless people that they say are right now currently on the streets, who then gets the heated tent? Like, are they picking out of a Like, there are so many questions to me. Right. There are so many things that need to be answered. And I don't know. I just feel that they're, you're just enabling street yeah. life by using this model. You are not empowering these people to get out of the situation that they're in, whether it be because of drugs or is it somebody that just lost their job and then could not afford to pay their rent or pay their mortgage. They need help to get themselves back on track. Another thing that that woman that you interviewed said, the same one that has witnessed babies being born in these tents, she also said that there is a need for women healthcare or women care in these shelters. She said that that is something that's lacking. So again, that for someone like me who doesn't know much about that lifestyle, I would never have known that even if I tried to help, I didn't know that that was a need. So who is listening to the needs of these people, right? I mean, Bobby, since you came to town, literally, you have exposed so much of this right under our noses, literally under my nose. There is a camp that is literally in the hillside of where I live, okay? I have seen some of the people that you have met um, in my neighborhood on drugs. They're walking with their dogs, you know, but they're Talk about the needles that you've seen in that camp, which is close to where I live. I mean, that was the most you said you've ever seen out of any of the camps. Yeah, so I thought the south side, um, the McCardo Viaduct one that uh, caught on fire and was cleaned up and everything like that. I thought that was the worst in terms of needles, and that one was pretty bad. Well, but, real quick, how long has that one actually been there, that camp? Uh, that was 12 years. 12 years. And it's back. Okay. So, here, so this has been an ongoing issue. Now we're trying to do something about it. But why? I mean, is it because it's so out of control that they can't con- 
contain it anymore? Is it because of past policies from a previous mayor administration that allowed like this permissive environment of camps? Is it because you are blowing the lid off it? Literally viral videos, you're getting national coverage on it. I mean, I think it's a multitude of things, but I think that 12 years makes me angry that people have been living like this. It is not humane. And it is a public safety issue. Yeah, I mean, what blows my mind is, you know, we do things like, you know, uh, former Mayor Bill Peduto, he opened the Office of Community Health and Safety in 2020, right? And then you have things like, uh, you have things like Lee Schmidt, the Director of Public Safety. You have Public Works that's supposed to do this. You know, if you're going to create an office called the Office of Community Health and Safety, your community should be healthy and safe. That's what I get out of it, right? And it's just not. I don't know who takes responsibility for this stuff, but nobody wants to. It blows my mind that nobody wants we to We need talk. leaders who take accountability. And I think we're seeing that locally, but also across the country. I mean, we have an open border, this fentanyl that is so easy to get in the city of Pittsburgh, a man that you interviewed who was about your age when you, I mean, it's sad yeah. that he was a young, able-bodied working person who got out of prison and was put back on the street. He was not rehabilitated there and he didn't know where else to go and he got re-addicted to drugs and he was weaning himself off. I believe he was 12 days sober. Yeah. But again, he had to do that. He had to have the willpower to do that himself. Not yeah. everyone can, but it's, you know, how do we get here and where do we go from here? You know, what do you think? I, mean, I also believe that, you know, a lot of questions need to be asked um, to some, you know, government officials, you know, uh, you know, the the mayor's office. They don't seem to respond to much of anything when it comes to, you know, even when council asks well, the Gina, mayor's I'm glad you brought this things. up. They I'm are, you know, it's crickets. I I actually have a quote, Bobby. I was looking at your Twitter last night, and we're going to go, we're going to tell everybody where they can find Eyes on Pittsburgh. But um, I was looking at his Twitter, Eyes on Pittsburgh, and there was a quote that you put from an executive person in, in the mayor's office. This administration is never going to run away from the hard questions and are proud of the work we have done to make this city a better place for us all. Literally the same day he refused, the mayor of Pittsburgh refused to comment on a viral video about you cleaning or cleaning up a campsite for a media tour that he was doing. But yet the mayor's office put out a statement saying that they will never shy away from the hard questions. And Gina, you hit that right on the nose. Yeah. I mean, what do we say about that? I think it's pretty obvious that we need leaders with accountability. I think we need to start paying attention to what's going on in our own local government. We need to start, you know, calling the 311 services. You know, I'm reading a book right now about, it's called San Francisco, and it's why progressive, sorry, why progressives ruin cities. And it's by Michael Schellenberger. And there is a ton of information in here of what's failed in other cities. And I haven't gotten to anything that's worked yet, so I'd let you know when I finish this book. But again, this is saying how progressives have long defended the right of the homeless to camp in public places. I'm just starting to see a correlation here with these progressive leaders that we have in our local government. You know, and and when are we, like how Sam, you interviewed the chair, Sam DeMarco, recently, last week, actually. And, um, you know, he can't be here today, but I, I really thought his interview, again, you can find on Eyes on Pittsburgh, to be very informative 
informative because he, if he, if it were up to Sam DeMarco, who is an at-large county councilman, um, he would lead a task force to go around the country and find solutions, right? We need leaders who are going to find solutions to fix problems. But, you know, we do have to run to a commercial break. And as Sam DeMarco would always say, we got to pay the bills around here. <laughs> pay the bills. So well, we will get back to this hot topic because this issue is an ongoing issue and it's not going anywhere. So we'll, we'll catch you on the flip side. All right, folks, welcome back to the Elephant Room here on WJAS 1320 and Talk 99.1 FM. Today we are continuing our conversation here uh, uh, with our panel here discussing homelessness and the decay of the city of Pittsburgh. We're joined by Aaron Coper, uh, uh, Gina Paulus, and Bobby Haar uh, talking about homelessness and the decay of Pittsburgh. Aaron, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, I, I want to um, have Bobby uh, kind of tell everyone, all the listeners out there, where they can follow him. On, on what media outlets are you on, Bobby? Uh, so I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Rumble. Um, across the board, it's at eyes on PGH, right? So just eyes on PGH on every single social platform. And real quick, I just want to uh, plug uh, an event that we have next week. It's next Wednesday. It's called Twitter with a Twist. And um, you might know the guy, that, uh, the king of Twitter himself, Scott Pressler. He has been on this show several times with me um, in this past election cycle. Um, he is um, heavily invested in southwestern Pennsylvania and he uh, loves it here and he is coming back already <laughs> and um, we the Allegheny County Council of Republican Women are hosting a really fun event at the Hula Bar um, on December 6th so next Wednesday from 7 to 9 and basically uh, it is how to get out the vote and utilize your social media tool whichever one you use it doesn't have to be Twitter um, to really uh, get out the vote, get volunteers, make our voices heard, and encourage other women and people um, to start thinking about running for office, um, to start getting involved, and to uh, make a difference. So if you are a lady out there who wants to learn how to make the use of social media and you want to sign up to be in our Women's Council, then you want to come see us. And who doesn't want to come see Scott Presser? I mean, you know, he's the king. So, but, you know, Talking about social media, let's talk about, Bobby, like how social media has really made such a huge impact in the work that you do. I mean, without the visual and without the interviews of hearing the people's struggles out there, I mean, social media can actually be a very useful tool in, in getting out a message and showing and showing issues that our local government does not want exposed. Yeah, so I mean, I've, I see social media as a huge advantage for what I do as opposed to, you know, I've written for newspapers, I've, you know, I've done TV, um, but I see it as a huge advantage because I can just in real time report. Like, for example, whenever they cleaned up the First Avenue homeless encampment, <clears throat> I think I pumped out like 11 or 12 videos in one day just reporting on it. Um, you know, and there, there were people there from the Post-Gazette. I saw Andy Sheehan from KDKA. Um, you know, there, there was media everywhere. But I have the advantage with social media. You know, often news breaks on X or formerly Twitter. Um, 
before it does anywhere else or you know you usually get it there first a lot of people get uh, the i forget what the statistic is but a ton of people get their news from social media and i can just do it in real time that's where i see the advantage of you know i've considered things like getting different cameras and whatnot you know for better quality but like you know having a, a decent smartphone nowadays with a high quality camera and uh having a Twitter account. I mean, anybody really, it, what it does is it empowers citizen journalism, which I'm a huge proponent of. And I think so many more people should be doing it, but you can in real time, give information to the public, give visual to the public of what you're seeing, what's going on. And there's nothing more powerful than that. Right. I think it's uh, sort of an evolution of the press and you know, modern day society. Um, I wanted to ask you this. I mean, speaking of social media, because I think that our city has been equated with this one stinky thing. And uh, I wanted to ask you, what is the scoop? Sorry. What is the scoop with the poop? <laughs> I know. I'm really, I wanted to do that so bad. Aaron just did that. <laughs> No, but really, what is the scoop with the poop in downtown Pittsburgh? Can you please, you, and actually that went viral on your social media. So let's talk about it. What's going on? Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, sorry, I'm still trying to get over that one. <laughs> I had to lighten the mood a little bit. It's a really heavy topic. Yeah, but. we're just like, we're just riffing on and on and on. And I wanted to do that so bad. If there that was, was a one, sound yeah. effect from my phone, by the way. It wasn't from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you caught me off guard. That was good. Um, no, but uh, that I know exactly the, the picture you're talking about. That went viral. I mean... To think, you know, out of all this work I'm doing and I'm going out and I'm going to these camps and I'm walking around, out of all the things to get the most amount of views, it is literally a picture of a hotel bathroom with poop smeared on the wall. I mean, I can't think of anything more So do people send this uh, into you? Like, yes. Uh, like leads on these things? Yes, all the time. I mean, daily. I, I get more stuff. You know, most of the stuff you get is just unusable. But I encourage anybody to send me as many pictures videos as you have or whatever because you never know what i'm going to use and what i'm not going to but eyes on pittsburgh highly highly um encourages uh, user submissions right because i can't be everywhere at once it's just me and a few other guys that help me out with this you know and so i i do post a lot of you, you know user submitted content which sometimes happens to be a hotel bathroom that has i heart poop written in poop on the wall. I mean, that was a lot. I don't know how that came out of just one person, but I, I, I that was impressive. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that, was impressive. that seemed like a bad day. But I mean, you also took a video of someone actually taking a poop, and then I, I didn't take that video. That was also a user submitted one. <laughs> that was okay, but I'm saying so. We are we have been getting a bad rep down here in the city of Pittsburgh for the amount of um, urination on our streets and fe feces. So again, going back to mental illness, you know, yeah. we have a serious issue here. I mean, I know we're laughing about it. I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, it could have very well been just a drunk person. I doubt it was. I think it really was a mental I've illness. I've never been that drunk. Right. You know, so I definitely think this is a problem because our city, you know, people, my friends out in the suburbs are, you know, saying, you know, we don't come to the city anymore because of these reasons, because of what they're seeing. This is exactly why some of the local media and, you know, local officials want to keep these things hidden under the rug. Yeah. Because, you know, I understand that their businesses need to thrive and you need 
patrons to come into our city and support businesses. However, these very businesses, these hotel lobbies, these hotel bathrooms, you know, I know Wiener World has been in the news. Marty Griffin has reported on that so many times. But I mean, they're struggling and we cannot hide it anymore. I mean, people know about it, you know, so this is something needs to be done. And I'm just not sure, circling back to everything we were talking about in the first segment of the show is, are these sanctioned camps going to help with this issue? Issue Are these portable bathrooms helping with this issue? Can you speak on that, Bobby? Do you know if these portable bathrooms that have been put around the city, are they making a difference? Well, to speak on the West, the, the West End Circle one, yeah, that's a good question because I was wondering the same thing. You know, you think, let, let's just be honest here. We think, you know, you see a homeless encampment and you see a porta potty in front of it. You think automatically that thing's destroyed, right? You think that's not a clean bathroom. But I will give credit to uh, Bridge Outreach in Pittsburgh. They provided this, uh, this porta potty to, um, to the West End Circle homeless encampment which is located right in front of it. And, you know, we checked it out. It's 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 clean. It's managed. And I think that goes back to the, the original point here of these managed communities, right? They have to have staff there. The, you know, they have to have, let's not kid ourselves, like there's a reason that these areas and, the, you know, these tent encampments become filthy, become filled with garbage, needles, clothes, furniture, bike parts. They, it does, you know, there's no limit to what you can find in a homeless encampment. And the reason a lot of these people are living on the street, among many other things, is because they, you know, their lives are unmanageable, right? And that goes right into the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, not to get off topic there. But when you're, that's step one, you know, you admitted to your, yourself in a higher power that your life had become unmanageable. Your life is unmanageable if you're on the street, right? Mm-hmm. And that means you can't take care of yourself. So how, how are you gonna take care of your surroundings? You're not mm-hmm. gonna keep things clean. So it does require something like, you know, bridge outreach, according to these homeless people at West End, they're paying somebody to come maintain this porta potty, right? That's gonna be necessary, right? So if it's going to work in any way to have a, a contained area where you're having these homeless encampments, if it's going to work at all, if there's even the slightest chance, it has to be managed. I absolutely agree with that. There's there's no way this doesn't become just a concentrated area of of the same exact hellscape uh, that it is as it's spread out without someone there to manage it, without multiple people there to manage it. So that's going to have to be the case, right? So I, I, I agree with that. I, it's just the, the idea itself as a whole. Does it work? Does it not? But Do we know how much this is going to cost taxpayers to manage these facilities, these encampments? Sheena, do you have any clue? I don't believe so. I don't even think that they have gotten sort of that far. I mean, I believe from the last uh, city council meeting, it was just pushed that it's going to go to the planning committee. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it was a standing committee meeting last, and then now it goes to the next phase. I mean, there's sort of a protocol the city council, you know, has to follow things. They just can't say something's going to happen. And then it happens. I mean, there is a A protocol that, you know, they're required to follow um, before things proceed. And then, like, when you were talking about the management, who is going to be the management of this facility of of tents? 
And do they have a proven track record in other cities? Because there are a lot of other, um, let's say, groups or organizations that they sort of know that cities are turning to these managed areas. So they can just be, let's say, um, you know, a realtor type um organization but they don't have a background in you know with mental health or with drug addiction or with anything to help these people they're just and i hate to say it this way but they're just trying to make a buck so they're just going to say oh here is my proposal to run this type of facility uh, because it's happened in other cities all you have to do is do a google search and you could see where you know in other cities they've turned a hotel into you know uh sort of they wanted to have a structured sort of type of an encampment but then it ended up that there were people you know cooking meth in the hotel rooms and you know the hotel was catching fire there was another wow. city where they had turned a hotel into one of these encampments and um, people were being poisoned because of the chemicals and the fumes from the cooking of the meth was coming through the vents in the hotel and people were getting um, sick. And then is there going to be a bear? Is there is this going to be a no barrier facility? Because that's I know some of the arguments of the people of the housing first initiative. Mm -hmm. They feel that you should be allowed to use drugs when you're in these facilities. They don't like a sort of shelter where they don't allow drug use because it's against the rights of the people. But then, like you said, uh, with the pregnant uh, woman right. maybe that gave birth in that uh, West End facility, you know, it, who is making the rules? Are they going to allow, um, you know, women and children? What if somebody is in that facility that doesn't want drug use around them? That's a good point. But then they exactly. have somebody in their tent <clears throat> next to them that's using drugs, but they're maybe trying to get off the drugs. They're seeing it like what you were saying, Bobby. It's the, to me, there is just so much that's going to go into all of this. Who is making these decisions? You well, know? Just, just to ad lib on the cost real quick, they did estimate what it's going to cost. So I heard two different things. The official number they estimate is $50,000 a month per site which only fits 25 to 50 people. So you got a few hundred people there. And that, so, I mean, that's going to tally up, right? I know other people would argue that the cost of inaction is blah, blah, blah. But um, at, the same, you know, at the same time, that's a lot of money. And we have to, if it's going to work, let's start there. Let's, start, let, let's, let's have a model that works and then we can justify the money. But we don't want to just throw money at something that's not going to work. And then back to your point about having rules in these areas, I like what Sam said which is you have to have compassion, but you have to have accountability mm -hmm. as well, right? And enforce laws. Yes. You know, if they're yeah. breaking a law, they have to go to jail just like the rest yeah. of us. Because last yeah. time I checked. Drugs are illegal. Illegal, yeah, <laughs> right. they're illegal drugs. Yeah. Like they're, I mean, that hasn't changed. Yeah. I want to read you an insert from this um, book that I'm reading. Um, it says, but the biggest reason many people come to San Francisco is for the cheap and abundant drugs and lax law enforcement. It didn't want, the, this uh, homeless person uh, quoted says, I didn't want that straight life, said a 32-year-old homeless man from Alabama. I was after the candy, getting high, easy money, freedom, ladies, getting high some more. So again, is this breeding this culture? Are we going to invite more people who are already know from the previous administration, like Sam said in his interview, where, you know, we are allowing this environment, this permissive environment, is how Sam said it, um, to allow campers and to allow this open air drug, you know, environment and um, 
and you know the needles are abundant and are people going to know I mean in these other pilot programs in other cities I'm just curious are people going there knowing that they're going to get running water heat and be able to live in like a colony because they're already coming here to live on our riverbanks along our our trails where college kids jog before they go to class I mean these are along the south side and in Oakland I mean it's becoming a public safety issue but if we have them in a managed camp are we just going to be inviting more homeless people to come here to live that way the people that want to live that way yeah i mean it seems like it i i i would i would point you to any suburb right for the most part you know you go to any suburb you don't there's a reason why you see these in the concentrated areas like pittsburgh the the metropolis areas right it's because where they get the services where they they are attended to they're going to come so the more permissive you have an environment the more you you offer people that either have no choice to or um just you know they prefer to live on the street the more you offer them the more will come right when you give people something for free you can't really take it away that's that's what we've seen with a lot of things a lot of social safety nets you know that's a whole other topic but when you start giving someone something for free it's very very difficult to take it away it's expected now of you so i mean yeah, I would think that's going to, you know, the more permissive it becomes, the, the more people are going to show up. Look at Skid Row. I mean, Skid right. Row it, used to be right. a lot smaller than it I mean, is there's now. There's documentaries about it now. Yeah. I mean, anyone can just go see. Like, these policies in these cities do not work. And they've even taken, in this book which I've read, and I don't have the exact, you know, to paraphrase it, but they've literally take, had studies done, okay, and they put people in like a semi-permanent housing situation. And a lot of these outreach people became very close because they were always working with these people and they became like family to them. More people in that semi-permanent housing actually died there than on the street. And they preferred to be on the street, the ones that did survive, um, because they wanted to go back to the environment where they had their drug dealers there. And they had, I mean, they didn't know what to do. In a, and there's a, more to it. But I don't think that, that the housing first is a, is a solution that it works. I mean, it comes with a lot of other services that need to be a robust initiative to make it really work to get these people a sustainable life outside of this um, culture that they're living in, right? right? And Gina, going back, like we were just talking about the suburbs and like what you were saying, but do you feel now you live a little further out from the city than I do? You kind of border Mount Lebanon area, Dormont. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that you're seeing, because I'm seeing it a lot more harder than you are currently, because I'm like more in the city center than you are. But do you feel that you have seen an influx of any type of activity in your area? Oh, definitely 100%. I mean, we have, you know, when I've been to, um, you know, our community meetings, you know, there is that uh, Banksville Shopping Center where the Coons, um, you know, supermarket is, you know, the community police officer has even told us, you know, to, there's panhandlers there. They, ha they were becoming very aggressive. They were actually sort of, I mean, there's no other word to say it. They were stalking people that were going to the ATM machine and then following them to their car asking for money, you know, and he came right out and said, you know, call 911. You know, you should, you know, right. you shouldn't have to deal with an aggressive panhandler that is following you from the bank to your car asking you for money, you know, the whole way there. Um, um it's it's inter interesting that you actually said that because I didn't even know that you were going to talk about that. And I didn't know because, I mean, I, I go to that Coons. I, I shop there sometimes. And we go to Coaches, uh, that great bar mm -hmm. that's right there. And um, we love the owner of that place. But in San Francisco in 2004, the city passed a ballot initiative that banned aggressive and intimidating panhandl 
panhandling, such as near ATM machines and inside buses. In 2010, San Francisco voters approved an ordinance that made it illegal to sit or lie on sidewalks between 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. And in 2016, voters banned camping, I'm sorry, on sidewalks. Now, progressive homelessness advocates fought against these initiatives because it said they were violating their human rights. And so this is, I mean, that is exactly what you just described. And this has happened in San Francisco. And progressive advocates, local leaders, stick up for the people who are acting this way in society. I mean, it literally says that the homeless know they are supported by progressive elected officials, advocates, and citizens. And a homeless man in this book actually quoted, this is San Francisco downtown. Anyone has the right to be downtown. So they feel like they are obligated to be out in society like this. You know, I saw a homeless guy um, last May in Point State Park. There was children everywhere. I took a video of it. I posted it. It got like a thousand views. Um, But he was very aggressive at the garbage can, I know, and he was pulling out whatever he could and just throwing it while people were walking past, yelling at people walking past. Clearly, he had a mental disorder, you know, and I don't want, you know, I feel bad for people like that. However, if one of us was acting like that in public, we would have been handcuffed and carted away. So again, you know, where what do we do about this? And who is enforcing this? And who should be enforcing this? You know, when we have lax laws, they know that they can come here. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, people like you and I and Gina, like we have billable addresses, right? So we're a revenue stream for the government. So of course we can't get away with something like that, you know, but someone, you know, someone that doesn't have an address doesn't have, uh, you know, you can't bleed a rock. So they'd rather just deal with the problem than anger their constituents, right? But I, I mean, it's simply is this, you see how great San Francisco's doing, you know? You see how great San Francisco's doing? It's You're terrible. Being sarcastic, right? Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like, wait a second. Oh, yeah, but, I know they cleaned it up temporarily for the leader of China. Oh, right? no, that's a whole yeah. other thing. But no. I know. But make, you know it can be done. <laughs> yeah, make, make <laughs> no mistake it about it. Uh, San Francisco is terrible. I've been there several, several times. It's frightening, right, to be around there. These are not just to, <laughs> just to go back to those policies you were talking about. These people are not just sitting on the sidewalk. They're not just existing, right? These are aggressive, violent. You've been chased, correct? I mean, your life has been at. Yeah, I was chased. I was uh, I was shot at in Seattle, actually. Uh, Wait, was that the Sacramento story? Or was that a different story? That's a different story. Okay, we'll get to that. That's, that's, yeah. But tell, tell me about that. So you were shot at. I mean, yeah, I, I commend was... your bravery for doing this. You guys, you have to follow Eyes on Pittsburgh. <laughs> this guy is literally laying down his life to bring us the truth. But go on. It, it was just a, a crazy, you know, form of happenstance. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was in Seattle working for Project Veritas, and I went past a group of homeless guys, and they were arguing about something, and... I, next thing I know, there's bullets whizzing past me, right? I don't believe I was the target. You know, I was the intended target or anything. But there was, a, you know, because there was a guy, another guy running away from the fire and everything. But I could actually hear bullets whizzing past me. And this was a, a, a dispute I could hear based on the few words I heard. This is a dispute over drugs. And so, yeah, I was I was actually on a bird scooter. Say, because <laughs> downtown Pittsburgh, I've had several friends. And one of the friends I have that lives down there, her brother ran for Congress, Jason Kilmeyer. And yeah. um. 
her, his sister has literally witnessed fights between homeless people where they throw their tents in the in the street and, and get in fights and they barricade themselves in front of her gym and she can't get out. I mean, and you're talking about that. I mean, who's to say what weapon they're going to pick up? She lives down there. Her business is down there. And there's so many other people that have gone to patronize a theater show like a, 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 with their kids. And they tell me, Erin, it's scary. I've been followed to my car. I, I heard two, a, a couple that was homeless fight about money behind me as I'm walking with my daughter back to my car. I mean, you're, you, that is the worst case scenario situation that you've been, but this environment is, is brutal. It is unpredictable. And any one of us could be in the crossfire if it gets out of control. We're not trying to say that we're San Francisco right now, but we are trying to prevent us from becoming that. And you've seen it and you've witnessed it and you've almost had your life taken because. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple times, it's 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 been pretty terrible. Um, we are uh, getting closer to the end of the show, but I just want to commend you, Bobby, um, on the bravery and the tenacious reporting that you've been doing, and you're uncovering the truth, and you're holding those local officials accountable. I mean, you're putting pressure on them. You're putting pressure on the Department of Public Works. You are putting pressure for us to just simply know the truth. We just want a a safer city to live in we don't want needles to be covered in our streets we don't want those people to have to live in an inhumane situation and in garbage we want them to be rehabilitated and to get help and you've seen the good works that these outreach programs can do so hopefully our local officials will listen to this show and maybe take note from the people who are living in the city and for you for for what you've been doing and really take to heart like what we have to say and and together we can we can definitely definitely solve this issue it's just we need them to work with the public and listen to us you know obviously we're going to worry about what neighborhoods these are going to go in and I mean these are issues that we all need to decide together but we need leaders that can um, stand up to this and and make sure that we're not going down a path of destruction couldn't agree more um yeah I think uh I think everybody kind of has the same goal compassion uh, and wants to get this fixed but remind everyone where they can find you again yeah 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 yeah. that's at eyes on pgh uh, across all social media platforms you can find me on mainly on twitter instagram facebook youtube rumble um, that's where you find all my content please please follow eyes on pittsburgh he's doing tremendous work here in the city of pittsburgh and that concludes our and gina thank you so much for coming and i love working alongside you and you are have been a, a great mentor to me and together we're going to help make city of Pittsburgh better and I thank all the listeners today and hopefully Sam DeMarco will be proud of our show and he'll (laughs) let us do this again. Thanks Sam. Thanks everyone. (laughs)